Jesus has, on his way back to Galilee from Jerusalem, he stopped in Samaria. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty from his journey. He stopped and sat on a whale down there. And the Samaritan woman has come. And remember this. I, I think it's very important to remember. That in chapter 3, Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, one of the chief rulers of the Jews, a religious man, one that's educated in the Word of God, but a man that must be born again. And in chapter 4, he's speaking to a half-breed Samaritan that's despised by the Jews, that in Ezra and Nehemiah's day was shut out from building the city or the temple, that have been rejected, and yet now he's in Samaria, and not just in Samaria, but speaking to a woman that's had five husbands and is currently with a man that is not her husband. And she needs to be born again. So there's none excluded. From the best of the best to the least of the least. From the most moral that you can imagine to the most wicked that you can imagine. They both are in need of the same work from God the Father. That Jesus Christ would give His life for their sins and they be born again by the working of the Spirit. So He's been speaking with her and the conversation began with Jesus asking for water. She's amazed that a Jew would want to drink out of a Samaritan's pitcher. She can't believe that and we get into a deeper conversation and Jesus, of course, brings to the law. The law is the schoolmaster. The law is the governor and the teacher of man. So in Galatians, that's the picture that's given. He says in Galatians, the children, they, they're under tutors and governors and the schoolmaster, they're going to school and they're learning because at 10 years old, they're not able to take over the family business. They don't know they're going to have to learn before they reach that place. So they're going to school and the tutors and the governors and the schoolmaster, they're there teaching them and instructing them what they need to know that they might live when they come to the certain age. And that's what Paul likens the law to. The law was our teacher, our governor, our schoolmaster that instructed us of our sin and pointed us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, call your husband. And she lies. Just like every man lies. All men are liars. Sir, I have no husband. But Jesus, through His wisdom, reveals the truth that's in her heart. And you know, had, had somebody spoken with us when we were blind, while we, we didn't really need a Savior, we needed to do a little better, maybe. Maybe you would say, I could do a little better. But to realize what we really were and our true state before the eyes of God, we had no idea until the Lord showed us what we were, opened our eyes to our condition. And Jesus is opening her eyes to her condition. And when Jesus does that, she says, now wait a minute. Let's get attention away from that. Our people say that Mount Gerizim here in Samaria, that's where we ought to worship. And they set that place up. When the Jews rejected them from building the temple in Jerusalem, 
They said, well, we don't have to worship down there. We'll set up a place that's just as good right here in our country. So they taught Gerizim was where you worshipped. And the Jews said, Jerusalem is where you ought to worship. And so she's asking the question, who's right here? Who is really worshiping God in this situation? And Jesus, he tells her the hour's coming and now is that men's not going to worship God at the temple in Mount Gerizim nor in the temple at Jerusalem. The hour's coming that where you're at's not going to matter. The temple is no longer going to be the access unto God. You're not going to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice and that be the way that you get to God. The hour's coming and now is that God will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. But also, he doesn't go without telling her that what the Samaritans were doing was against the word of God. God chose Jerusalem. God bore witness to that in Solomon's day. God answered with fire. And God said, this is my house. And if my people, which are called by my name, if they'll look to hear, I'll hear their prayer. Jerusalem was a place that God chose to worship. He said, you worship, you know not what. You're worshiping by means and methods that man has made up, man has established, man has put his authority to and is outside of the Word of God. Salvation is of the Jews. If you're looking for a Messiah, where are you going to look for Him to come? From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from David's lineage in the tribe of Judah. That's where God said the Messiah was going to come from. And that's where He came from. Salvation is of the Jews. So in verse 24, that brings us to here. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we talked about this a little last time in the verses previous to this. But how is God worshipped and served and glorified among men? I believe in truth, if you want to get that and, and cut a lot of the junk that goes on today out of the way. In truth, you could say according to the Word of God, I, I absolutely believe that that's applicable. We're not coming to God as the Samaritans did outside of the realms of God's Word. But also this, and I believe here's where he's speaking of, we're going to worship God without hypocrisy. If God's going to be worshipped, it's going to be without a show and without an act. I'm not going to come before God as this woman did Jesus and say, I have no husband. I've done no sin and I'm not guilty. Man wants glory to him and not to God. Man wants to be the good one. Man wants to be the one that does the work, that brought the work to pass, that is going to finish the work. Man's got to have his hands some way or another so that he can say he's done something. But if God's going to be worshipped, we're going to have to come in truth. What I really am, well, God's not going to accept what I really am. Of you, that's exactly right. 
You come to God in yourself like you are. God will never accept you. You've never done enough good and you will never do enough good that God accepts you by the works that you've done. It is impossible that God accept your works. Man thinks he's going to work and get people saved. He's going to work, do works and get people down when the God's truth is the best day you've ever had has been riddled with sin. No, we're going to have to come truer than that. We're going to have to come and I am a sinner. And if God's going to do good to me, if God's going to hear my prayer, if God's going to move for me, it's going to be because He's merciful and not giving me what I deserve. And it's going to be because I'm coming through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's righteousness that God can do good to me. Outside of Christ, hell's all I have to look forward to. A certain, sure, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. That's what is outside of Jesus. So the only way I'm coming to God is through Jesus. And God is a spirit. So God's not flesh and blood like you and I are. You know how you worship somebody that's flesh and blood? With things that are flesh and blood. With things that are earthly. You worship earthly things with earthly things. But God is a spirit. And really, you could go a step farther than that. God is the creator of all earthly things. So why is there a world? Because God made the world. Why is there gold? Because God hid gold in the world. Why are there people? Because God made people. Why do they have lives? Because God gave them life. It's all made by God. So do you think something that God's made is going to offer Him something that's going to benefit Him? Greg looked at it Wednesday. Honest, some of my favorite scripture. How can you give something to God that God has not given to you? And for man to think that he's worshiping God with flesh and bones that His voice is worshiping God on its own. Because I can speak well. I can say the right things and God's honored by that. Because I can sing pretty. I can sing a good song and God's honored by that. Well, if I can sing pretty, God gave me the voice to do that. And if I can speak well, God gave me the mind to be able to speak. Where does it come from? If I can write a $10,000 check to the church, where did I get that from? David believed that those that were rich, they had it from God. So what do we offer God who is a spirit and who's the creator of the whole world? Micah asked that question, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord 
and bow myself before the high God. This is Micah 6, verse 6. Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So what, what do you think? What do you think I could offer God that's going to make me acceptable in His sight? If I offered my firstborn, now that's as, that's as steep as it gets there in Micah. Can you get any steeper than that? But if you've got a firstborn, where, where did that firstborn come from? I'm, the best you can do is offer what God's give you. You're not pulling something new out that God's never had before. You might do that with me. You might offer me something that I've never had before that I may never be able to obtain. But all we can do is give to God what He's given to us. And when you compare what He's given to you in comparison with the seven billion people on the face of the earth and the treasure that God's hid in the earth, what, what really are we giving Him? How silly it is for man to think he's doing anything of himself to honor God. God is a spirit. He's not a man. He doesn't look for things of the world, carnal things. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, very familiar scripture, if I've got all faith that I can move mountains, if I can speak with the tongues of angels and of men, and he, he brings it down. I mean, what are the greatest sacrifices that a man could give? Well, first he says, if I sold all my goods and give to the poor, if I give everything I had to the poor, and if I give my body to be burned. Yet, if I have not charity, it's nothing. So you can make the greatest sacrifice that's possible to be made. And if it's not done, you remember in truth without hypocrisy, if it's not done because of charity and love for God, if there's any portion of that work that's done for me to be seen or for it to be known that I'm the one doing it, then it's nothing before God. What are we going to offer God? God's a spirit. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 14, what who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thy own have we given thee. God, you loan this to me and all I've done is give back to you what you've provided. Now here's what David's question is. Who am I to be able to do this? I think there's the question that ought to be asked. Not look what I'm doing for God, but who am I that I should be able to do this for God? Why? Has God given me the opportunity to do this? So 
in Psalm 24, verse number 1. Listen to these words now and consider this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Who's climbing then the hill of the Lord? Are you going to climb the hill of the Lord? Do you meet the requirements? Clean hands, pure heart, not lifted soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, not lied. Does anybody that you know is able to ascend unto the hill of the Lord? This, this, these scriptures are preached saying that I need to clean up and get there. I tell you, I can take fuller soap and never get that clean. What's the answer in verse 7 of that same chapter? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Over and over you see it. It's all through the Old Testament. You see it spelled out in the New Testament that there's no man. God saw that there was no man. God saw that man didn't have ability. And what happens? The Lord Jesus comes. He's going to ascend the hill of the Lord. He's the one with clean hands and a pure heart hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. He's the one that has the ability. So what what am I going to come to God and God accept me with? Only in the Lord Jesus Christ His sacrifice and His death, His resurrection for my sins. There's no other way that God is going to be worshipped. God's not going to accept the works of my hands. God's not going to accept the fruit of the ground. God's not going to accept what I've sweated for and told after because it's not perfect. It's not in truth. It doesn't measure up to God's standard of holiness. Only the Lord Jesus measures up. So if you are going to worship God, it's not by something that you have done in order to earn the right to do that. It's not because we go to the temple at Jerusalem and it's not because we go to the temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. It's not because we've got the right works and the right sacrifice, but it's because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the means to approach, to come unto, and to worship God. For He must. That word means it is necessary as binding. There's no way around. God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So therefore the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. 
So Jesus' answer here, with such wisdom and no doubt with reasoning that she had never heard before, and I don't know how much instruction that they had in Samaria, but she had enough instruction to know this, that there was coming one that was going to be the answer to all of the questions. He was going to be the one to reveal everything. See, that was the message of the Old Testament. The message of the Old Testament was that Messiah was coming to reveal all things unto us. And she says, I realize that He's coming. And Jesus reveals Himself unto her. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, Many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. That's Moses. And will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command them. And there's a multitude more prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah that was yet to come. All of the law and all of the prophets, they all pointed to the culmination of all things. That was Jesus Christ. The law was never meant to be a means for me to approach God forever and ever. In Hebrews he says those things were for the time then present until the fullness, and I'm not quoting it, it's there, until the fullness be brought in. Man's looking to go back under that system. No, no, no. Jesus is the culmination. He is the fullness. All that stuff done was point to Jesus. Jesus was the answer to all that. There will not be another sacrifice offered to God that God ever accepts again. Ever. Jesus is the sacrifice. And if you read in Daniel 7, I realize... There's doctrines that they butcher scriptures is what they do. But if you're reading Daniel, you'll read that this Messiah that was coming would be the end of the sacrifice. Jesus was the end. He was the great sacrifice. He was offered once for all. No other man needs another sacrifice and no other person is coming to God any other way. Well, the Samaritans have to, but the Jews don't. That's not what he told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. How's man coming to God? I tell you, from the best of the best, from the straight out of uh, Abraham's loins to the worst of the worst down in the city of Samaria, they come through Jesus or they're not coming. There is no other sacrifice. He's coming. He'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, I am He. How would she have known that had He not revealed it? Is there any way that man is going to come to Jesus except He reveals who that He is? In Romans 10, Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them 
that sought me not. Now what about in Jerusalem? There's a high priest down there. There's 70 men on the Sanhedrin court. There's Pharisees and there's scribes and there's Sadducees and there's just your normal run-of-the-mill Jewish people. And here is a wicked woman in Samaria. Somebody that all of those folks, they wouldn't even have touched something that she touched. She was so unclean. And yet she has the Savior revealed to her and all those people set in darkness. He's quoting Isaiah here in Romans 10. I was found of them that sought me not. Is that not the way that the Lord works? There's no glory for man. But God comes at a time that we're not expecting Him to come. He comes at a time that we're not seeking after Him. He reveals our sin. And boy, I'm telling you, when the Lord opens the eyes and the heart of man, the life turns around. And man then begins to seek God, not through works, but for a sacrifice to pay for sin. So Jesus reveals who that He is. And upon this came His disciples. So let's, let's get everything in order. Jesus has sat on the well. He sent His disciples into the city and the woman comes to draw water. So now we've reached the end of their discussion. The disciples are coming back and marveled that He talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? So they're marveling. She marveled that He would ask her for a drink. The disciples marveled that He's even talking to her. Now they don't know who she is. They don't know the sin that she's committed. They don't know how wicked she really is. For all they know, this is just a woman of Samaria. And they're amazed that Jesus would even speak with her. Ain't that the way that self-righteous people are? Well, I deserve this, but boy, they sure don't deserve this. I deserve good, but they don't deserve good. In Luke chapter 7, verse 39, When the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So we know the story. The woman has come in. She's washing Jesus' head or his feet with the hair of her head. She's broken that ointment and poured it on him. And the Pharisee, he's sitting there looking, saying, yeah, this man's not a prophet. This is not a man of God. Because if he were, he wouldn't let that woman touch him. She's unclean. Now he's unclean. They're amazed. In Luke 15, I believe it's 15, yeah, verse 2, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they murmur against the Lord because He eateth and sitteth with sinners and publicans. It's amazing, isn't it? They are marveling. 
They are astonished. They're amazed that God would give this woman the time of day. And if you get built up in yourself, you'll feel the same way about folks. If you think that you came to God out of your goodness and righteousness, or if you think well or high of yourself, you'll be amazed. They've already forgotten that they were vile, uneducated fishermen. Wouldn't it amazing that God spoke to them? That God didn't go to the college to pick His disciples. God didn't go to the school of the Jews or of the Pharisees. He didn't go to Gamal to pick disciples. Jesus went down to where the uneducated people were and it was from there that He called people to be His followers. And they're looking at a Samaritan and saying, I can't believe that God would even speak with somebody like that. I tell you, if you're not careful, you'll get that blind as well. Let's remember what we are. Recognize our sin. Don't murmur that He eats with publicans and sinners. If He didn't eat with sinners, we'd have never come to Christ. He'd have never came to us and called us. Remember, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, in God's sight, they're all filthy rags. You're nothing in yourself towards God. We're elect not because of works. We're elect in Christ. That's the only way God could bring us to Himself is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Man likes himself awful good. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So the woman now, she's talked with Jesus. The disciples have come back and saw this conversation going on. And so all this is happening at the same time. I realize it reads funny. Maybe. But the discourse ends here. Jesus reveals who that he is to this woman. She leaves her water pot and she runs back into the city. Now, if you were going to think, put yourself in this day, of somebody that's going to evangelize a city, who would you pick to evangelize a city? Who would you think out of the entire village of Sychar or Shechem would come and reveal that the Messiah has came? The best man? A priest? You know who's going to evangelize the city? A woman who's had five husbands and is living with one now that is not her husband. Now you, if you knew a person like this, no doubt a home wrecker, there's a large number of women in the city that doesn't like her. I mean, that's a given, wouldn't you say? They don't want their men anywhere around her. 
She's despised. She's thought little of. I mean, she's just a harlot is all she is. She's a loose woman. She's a floozy. I mean, that's what we would say. You put her in our community, and that's what we would say. And this is the person now that's going to run into the city and say, I've met the Messiah. He's here. Come and see this man that's told me everything I've done. Now, of all people on the earth that you're going to believe, are you going to believe her? Are you? Are you going to believe what she has to say and are you going to follow her out of the city? Now the men, they're probably working, I would imagine. I would imagine they're in the fields or whatever they're doing and here comes this woman. She's running through the streets and she's crying out loud, come and see this man. Would you come and meet this man that has told me everything that I've done and notice the way she says it. He's told me all things. Is not this the Christ? She's asking a question there. There's a question mark at the end of that. She's not saying who He is. She's asking them the question and wanting them to come see. They have to see Him for their self. And so all of these folks then went out of the city and came unto Him. They're going to leave whatever they're doing and come and see this man. Now, you can say what you want, but tell me that her speech... Let's let's slow down for just a second. In Matthew 28, verse 8, "...and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run." to bring His disciples' word. These were the women. They had come on Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, to anoint the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ to keep Him from stinking. They couldn't come the Saturday because it was the Sabbath. So they come Sunday morning and they found the tomb to be empty and angels there declaring and with joy. Boy, you know what they've got? They've got something to tell they're going to run back to Peter and James and John and the disciples, the eleven, and they're going to say, listen, we've been there this morning and he's got up. You reckon they moved with haste? My God, they had something to tell. And this woman, she's convinced that this is the Messiah. She's got something to tell. She doesn't even worry about drawing water. There's things that can wait, ain't there? Well, that's going to wait so that she can tell them in the city of the Lord. And in Romans, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's quoted out of the Old Testament. And this is the picture there that whether it's the kingdom of Israel in captivity or it's the uh, kingdom of Judah that's in captivity in Babylon, when the man comes running, bringing news that the captivity is lifted and we can return back to our country. How beautiful the feet of them that bring that wonderful news to us. It's not the feet that's really that's beautiful. It's the news that comes that's so beautiful. So she's running. 
she's bringing this wonderful news that the Messiah has come to our village and He's spoken with me. And He's here. Come and see this man that's revealed the truth. And so, then they went. In Matthew 8.11, Verily I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 12, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment because she heard of Solomon way down in Ethiopia and she packed up her stuff and went to go see him. And yet a greater than Solomon was present and the majority of people in that day had no mind to go and see or hear what he had to say. But these people in Samaria, they hear the word of the woman, they put down what they're doing, and they go out of the city to see. Now we don't know who he is. We don't know what he is. But this woman's testimony has had enough weight on it that it's convinced them to at least go see what she's talking about. And now you tell me that that woman, with her sin and her reputation, is going to come running through the city, I imagine, with great haste and with great joy, proclaiming that the Savior, the Messiah, is outside at the well... And these men are just going to up and leave everything they've got to follow after her. And the Holy Ghost was not working in her speech. He says, let your speech be seasoned with grace, with salt. You think what she had as the Lord spoke on the Emmaus Road and the men's hearts burned within them. Do you think her speech was seasoned that it burned within their hearts, that the men said, you know what, I, I ought to lay this down and go see what she's talking about. Could this really be? Now if they don't go, whose fault is that? That's their fault, wouldn't you say? The Word's been brought to them. They've been told, if they don't go, it's their fault. They chose not to go. Now I say this, without the Holy Ghost of God bringing conviction and illuminating the heart of man, there's not a single man on the earth that's going to go. There's not one that's coming to God for salvation, that's coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, that the Father in heaven is not actively drawing. So why is man saved? Because God drew him. If God didn't, he would have never came. There's no credit for me there. There's no credit for me in anything. There's no boasting. Boasting is left off. So they, they come out. And so we're, we're going to go back now to the well and the disciples. So there's a lot going on at one time. He spoke with a woman... The disciples are coming. As they're coming, they see her and him talking. She gets, leaves the water pot and runs on. And then it follows her back into the city and she's in there uh, proclaiming that the Messiah is, is not this, the Christ. Come see this man. While she's doing that now, in the meanwhile, 
his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So remember why they left. They went to go buy bread. They didn't have anything to eat. Jesus is not turning stones into bread for him and his disciples. They're going to live just like you and I live. They go in and they buy bread. They're coming back and they say, Master, eat. But he saith unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. So again now, over and over and over again, this is exactly what happens. Verse 33, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Ain't it something that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and says, you must be born again, and Nicodemus is wanting to go back in his mother's womb. That he tells the woman, I'll give you living water, and she says, how are you going to draw it out of there? And he tells his disciples, I've got meat to eat. We know what he's talking about. But they don't. They don't understand. They think, well, did somebody else bring him a loaf of bread? So boy, without some understanding granted by the Holy Spirit, man really, he's blind to what the Lord really is saying, isn't he? You can preach salvation to a blind and deaf and lost audience and they'll hear do better. You can preach Jesus Christ and faith that changes the life to a blind and deaf audience of unbelievers, and they'll hear, well, I believe in my mind. But to really get to what Jesus and the Word of God is saying, the understanding has got to be opened. To this point, nobody's understood what he's talking about. And you're going to see it. We're going to see it more and more and more as we go through this gospel. People don't know what he's talking about. They can't see the spiritual side. They don't understand the Lord Jesus. So while we're here, let's stop for just a second. I told you that chapters 2, 3, 4, out with the old and in with the new was the theme. In chapter 2, the water that was there for washing and cleansing was turned into wine. The old ceremonial means of worship and approach to God is done away with and the new joy of the kingdom of God and forgiveness of sins in Jesus is being brought in. The temple, Jesus cleanses the temple, runs out those that are exchanging money and those that are selling the sacrifices says, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. And Jesus says, this temple will be destroyed and I'll raise it up in three days. So we've got new worship. We've got a new temple that we're going to approach God by. In John 3, we've got not works, not Phariseeism, but a new birth that's required. It's not going to be the bloodline of Abraham. Nicodemus was of the bloodline of Abraham. But he needed another birth. It's going to be a spiritual birth that's going to be brought in and not the old way of the law that's going to be accepted any longer. And in chapter 4, 
you've got a new spiritual worship. Not one centered around Jerusalem, but one that's centered around the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Not a geographical location. That's not what's important. It's Jesus Christ that's important. So I have meat to eat that you know not of. In Jeremiah 15 verse 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. You know what brought joy to the Lord's heart? To do the will of the Father. What brought fulfillment to Jesus' heart was to accomplish the work that the Father had gave Him to work. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. So there's in Ezekiel the role of the book that he eats. You see that over and over again. Is it that I'm eating the pages of a book? Is that what's bringing nourishment? No, it's, it's the doing of the work. It's the Lord fulfilling the purpose of God and in that He has joy. Does He still need to eat? He does. He's going to have to eat bread. He's going to have to drink water or He's going to die. But He set aside the fleshly needs to accomplish the will of God first and foremost. And He does that ultimately at the cross when He lays aside His own life to accomplish the will and the work of God the Father. So hath any man brought Him? Listen to this in Luke chapter 9, and we're, we're about out of time. They understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask Him of that saying. There were things that was hid from their eyes that they not, did not understand at the time. And if you remember in John, when he spoke about the temple, they didn't know what he was saying then. The disciples didn't know what he was saying. But he says, it's in John chapter 2, he says that after his resurrection, they understood what he was speaking of. What was it that brought this to their understanding. I mean, He had come to be the Savior of the world. It's prophesied in Isaiah 53, if that's the only Scripture we had in the Old Testament, it's plain as day. The man's coming to die, isn't it? He's dying in the place of sinners. And yet the Lord said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be hung on a cross, and I'm going to die, and I'll raise again the third day. Peter said, no, you're not. That's not going to happen to you. What's wrong? There's no understanding. But the Holy Spirit is given after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and He opens their understanding. He guides them into the truth. It's not much learning that figures this out. There must be a revelation of the Spirit of God. All man can see is natural things. That's what Peter's eye was on. 
He was savoring the things of men and not the things of God. And that's the way all of mankind is. He savors that piece of bread. He's not given any thought to the work that God has for him. Except the Spirit of God open and illuminate and work in the heart of man. Man will be as the disciples were. He'll be like the Jews were. He'll be like the Samaritans were. They'll have no understanding of what the Lord is truly saying.